Merritt Street, we're building a new morning show where our guiding principle is to always value your time. We'd love for you to join us. Be part of our community. Each morning will be packed full of news, information, advice, and a lot of fun. And we promise we'll never waste your time. I'm Dominique Soxa. I'm Fanchon Stinger. Join us for Morning on Merritt Street. 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 Central. Essential Television. Welcome, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, back with a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. I am so excited to have another installment of my series, The Secret to Turning Your Dreams into a Reality, where I interview brilliant minds on how they brought their big, crazy dreams to life. Today's episode is a conversation with Katia Beauchamp, the CEO and co-founder of Birchbox. Birchbox is a subscription beauty service that delivers deluxe samples to your door every month. It's the perfect way to discover new favorites at a low price tag. Katia developed this idea while getting her MBA at Harvard and built it into the multi-million dollar brand it is today through perseverance, passion, and listening to her gut. She is also a mother to four beautiful children and advocates for the fair and supportive treatment of mothers in the workplace. I can't wait to get into it. Thank you so much for being here, Katya. I'm so excited. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you again for being here and telling all of the Secret Squad listeners about your journey because it is not only so impressive, but so inspiring at the same time. Well, thank you. I am humbled to hear that, honestly. It feels like I'm still in the thick of it. (laughs) I love so many aspects of your journey to get where you are today and what you are still doing because you are a mother of four beautiful children. You're married, you have a thriving business, and you advocate for, like I said, mothers and women in the workplace. So I know that the secret squad out there, all of our listeners are going to be just loving everything that you have to share. I hope it's valuable. It's been a wild 11 years out of nothing that I could have ever imagined, to be honest. 11 years. Wow. You don't look like you're old enough, number one, to have four children and be in this business for 11 years. One of the perks of being in this industry that I knew nothing about when I started is learning how to take care of myself, learning how to take care of my skin, mostly. and. It's something that I'm honestly like shocked that so many of us do not just know the basics, not because we aren't smart enough, but because it feels like the beauty industry is conspiring to confuse us (laughs) about what we need. Um, And that's one of my favorite things about Birchbox is helping empower everyone to take care of themselves because, you know, we all have a shared goal to look our best, feel our best, and not to have it feel like a lot of work. Um, So it's really fun to just be able to say, oh, yeah, no, you don't have to know everything, but here are some things that are useful to know. Oh, I love that you said that. And that's one reason why I wanted to mention the beauty I see when I'm sitting here visiting with you. And I have always wanted to use what platform I have, what opportunity I have to inspire women on taking care of themselves. And, you know, to your point, taking care of yourself isn't just about the outside. That's right. It really starts with the inside. If you want to get 
tactical water is your best beauty product. Um, but obviously just feeling like you have the energy to be present every day, also really critical and, and knowing that you deserve to, to be cared for in anything you're doing, but especially as a consumer, when you're making a discretionary purchase, I feel so strongly that we deserve for somebody to care about our money, especially when you don't have to have it. And I think that's the dirty little secret of the beauty industry. While there are things that it does for you, beauty products do things, you don't have to have them. Um, We could all live without it. And so when we're using it, we should feel smart and we should feel like we're getting the results. Oh, I love it. That's why I've been very, very excited about this podcast today. So let's get started. And let me say first, I always love chatting with a Texas girl because... You know, I'm a Texas girl at heart while I'm living here in California now. I am from Texas as well. And I know that you grew up in El Paso, Texas, correct? That's right. I'm born in Austin, but I grew up most of my life in El Paso. Had never even seen New York when I moved here for college. And um, yeah, still consider myself to be El Paso, Texas at heart. Have my same area code phone number that I haven't been able to let go of. (laughs) And honestly, it just feels so lucky that I've gotten to see a very different way of living than how people live on the coast. (laughs) That's so true. Because you know what? I still have my same Texas area code and phone number. After being out here for almost 20 years, uh, there is something about Texas that you just cling to, I guess. I will, I know, for the rest of my life. Both my boys were born in Texas, and we love Texas. So hello to a fellow Texan. Thank you for having me. Well, again, I have to say, I am so impressed with your background. Undergrad from Vassar and an MBA from Harvard. Was education always important to you and your family? It was always really important to me. Um, My grandmother definitely valued education, but I think that, you know, the expectations that my mom and her sisters grew up into were very different than the ones I grew up into in terms of what were opportunities that were reasonable for women. Um, And in some ways, I think that they kind of accepted that reality of like what were reasonable opportunities for women. And I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I never really believed or saw limitations based on being a woman, based on being from El Paso, mostly because I was so naive. But um, what I was really lucky for is I had so much support to be kind of silly in my ambitions, like so outlandish in my ambitions. Um, And I did have friends whose parents were more focused on the academic life. And that's really how I got exposed to even Ivy League schools or leaving the state for a school because that wasn't necessarily normal. So that's really where it started. I love that you can grow up in a family who is totally open to supporting you and your ideas and your your wants and desires. I know. I feel so lucky that I didn't have this like, you must, you must, you must. um, And really lucky that I was just treated as being valuable for whatever it was that I wanted. um, And also supported and not told that it was so ridiculous to dream big about what life could be. Oh, I love it. Can you tell us about your time at Harvard and the tools you learned to become an entrepreneur? Yes. So what's great about the MBA program at Harvard is they use something called the case method, which is basically instead of, you know, using what is, I think, commonly seen as the tools of education, which is 
uh, textbook, um, and of course, like conversation and some case studies, the entire curriculum is case studies. So every single day in business school, you get to be exposed to three or four different situations that are presumably realistic. And you're basically put in the seat of the decision maker and said, okay, well, what would you do in this situation from kind of HR and personnel issues to finance and fundraising issues. And so that's just, it's a really interesting way of kind of collapsing experience into two years, because I think what makes us better and better leaders is our perspective and exposure to situations. And so I think the biggest tool that Harvard gives you is it tries to jam a lot of perspective into two years. So you start working this muscle of decision-making and recognizing that you will never have all of the perfect information to make the perfect decision. And also that there is no such thing as a perfect decision because different perspectives lead to different decisions. And those different decisions could all have successful outcomes and they can all have failures. So this fallacy of like someday I will be able to make decisions kind of, I think melts away or that's how it felt for me is, okay, I hope to keep getting better with time, but you know, I, I am willing to start practicing just making these decisions almost like one foot in front of the other and not assuming that someday I will be equipped for this, but rather saying every day I get better at this. Oh, that's wonderful. And you get the, you get the education of seeing your peers there as well, making their decisions and benefiting from that. Right. 90 people, really smart, different backgrounds in your class who have very different approaches. And that's that's the setup. They want it's not an argument, but they want people to see how different people conceived of how to you know, face a certain bit of adversity or take advantage of an opportunity and to notice that very talented people create very different and valid paths. That's so true. I'm thrilled to hear all of this. Do you think that all entrepreneurs should consider business school? No, I don't think all entrepreneurs need business school. I think business school was really critical for my journey because I wasn't exposed to entrepreneurship really at all prior, and it really wasn't on my radar. So business school is what exposed me to the concept of it and to having some of the even vocabulary being an entrepreneur that I really wouldn't have had. It doesn't mean that I would have never gotten there, but I don't think it could have happened at the same time when it did. Um, But I do think that some people are exposed to that sooner and that there's so many tools now, whether it's, you know, podcasts and and books and people, some people kind of know exactly what they want to do really early on. And that wasn't the case for me. But I do think that there are other ways of developing, you know, getting some of that perspective, like I said, listening to podcasts, reading books, um, talking to people about it, and also other ways of building networks, which is what is also really valuable about business school is just the relationships with your peers, with your professors, with the institution. Um, And then, you know, in my case, I don't want to you know, downplay the fact that having an MBA from Harvard, I think allowed certain people to open my emails that I don't know if they would have opened, right? Random person at gmail.com, very much less of a thing than, you know, Kay Rivera's at MBA Harvard, you know, that, that did open doors. And I, I had to do a lot of cold emailing to get in the door of this industry, 
And I don't know how, I don't know what it would have been like without it. Mm -hmm. And going back to, if you don't go to business school, doesn't mean that you won't make it or doesn't mean that you don't stand a very good chance. Because as you said, there are other ways. I can remember doing a podcast with MyFab Finance was the name of the podcast in the business. And We talked a lot in that one about networking is so important. You can still network and go to these workshops where you meet so many people and finding a mentor is so important. So there are a lot of different ways. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I've had from, you know, opportunities like this or from other media I've participated in, I've had people reach out to me where we now have a relationship who didn't go to business school, who are starting companies where, you know, I just offer some support as I can um, because I'm invested in them because of the way that they approached it. So, you know, being mindful about how you're approaching, you know, trying to build a relationship. I think mentorship can seem like this huge intimidating thing, but relationships are relationships and the best ones are reciprocal where you imagine, you know, what's this person need? How can I help them? How can they help me? Um, And you really approach it knowing that, you know, the first time you're starting a relationship with someone, you're probably not going on vacation with them. You might be having coffee. And so it's like 20 minutes. And then, so how do you build any relationship thinking, well, it starts with like a reasonable ask of a small amount of time. And then as someone gets more vested in the relationship, you can ask for more and right. Um, So I absolutely agree with you. I think that that can happen without business school. And it just takes, you know, being thoughtful about it and thinking about how would you like to be approached and, you know, what are things that you're willing to try really hard for? Because even building those relationships can be work and you might get ignored a few times, not because you're not, you know, valuable, but because people have a lot going on. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying. And I've been amazed at the business relationships I have been able to create in my own life by surfing social channels, social media, Instagram, for example. I just created a business relationship in my life personally that is going to benefit me in a very positive way through surfing different sites on Instagram, professional sites, and narrowing them down and then continuing to research And then finally reaching out. I am so excited that I did that. So there are so many other ways. So how did you meet your Birchbox business partner? We were in the same section at business school. So at Harvard, your your section is the are the people that you spend the first year with entirely. So it's 90 people for about five hours a day. And you're going through this like perspective accrual (laughs) together. Um, so you see them all the time. And then second year you mix sections. And so her and I met as friends in our section, we became really close friends. And then we realized we had different strengths and that's kind of what led to the decision to try to write a business plan together, which we ended up deciding we actually wanted to launch a business. Oh, wonderful. That's so exciting. So you were actually schoolmates together, but then did you become very close friends? Yes. We became super close friends. Um, We had so much fun just kind of participating in the business school life, planning parties, planning um, events for the school. Eventually, we did some projects together. And 
you know, the way friends do, we would joke about starting businesses all the time. And then we just usually decided we both wanted the experience of writing a business plan. So again, as friends, we just had fun with it, thinking like, well, what would we write a business plan about? And very quickly, we came to the idea with Birchbox. And we also saw that we had different and complementary interests and skills. So we went for it. Oh, meant to be, meant to be. Tell us all about how you two landed on the idea of Birchbox and what made you move forward with it. It honestly feels like it was this inevitable thing because we landed on the idea and decided we would move forward with it all within about 48 hours. (gasps) Um, It was so fast. We, you know, we were looking for something to write a business plan about, as I said. We noticed a few trends. Um, one of the big ones being that women were finally starting businesses for women, um, which believe it or not, 12 years ago was like novel, uh-huh. you know? And um, isn't that odd to say that right now? It was novel. And I think we all know still um, underrepresented, but it was really a novelty that women would start, you know, e-commerce for women, services for women, Rent the Runway, you know, the the newsletter business was kind of hot still and daily candy. And then it was flash sales. And so that was happening. And we just thought, okay, well, what, you know, what are other categories that would serve women that we could relate to? And we just noticed that nobody was talking about the beauty industry. And we thought that was strange. We were like, that's weird. Isn't it, isn't it big? You know, isn't there an opportunity here? So we did a little bit of research and, and saw that basically this massive $500 billion industry was sold 2% on the internet. And that was the moment that kind of feels like it was unstoppable. We were very taken by that. We thought that's crazy. Everyone's moving their eyeballs. It's inevitable that their money wants to move there. Why isn't, why isn't it happening as easily as it is with apparel? Um, and so, you know, we kind of realized there was a few things that was making it hard for beauty. One was that beauty already had a lot of options. There was just so many things to choose from and the internet made that worse. So if you think about it, at least a store contains how many mascaras there are, how many creams there are. The internet is just infinite, right? Um, and, and the second thing about beauty was that we just kept hearing over and over again that people wanted to try before they buy, period. So we came up with like very basic insights. We need to make the option set finite and digestible. We need to give people the ability to try before they buy. And so that's what really what we set out to do. And very quickly we said, well, about four or five products a month, you can get through that. You can get, you know, we can leverage the fact that this industry uses samples, but we can use it differently. Um, and we can get people in front of product at a cadence that feels enjoyable for discovery and doesn't feel like you're drinking from a fire hose. And from the very beginning, we saw that the opportunity was to take this fragmented experience of finding and buying and put it all together saying discovery plus content plus commerce was kind of the full customer experience. Um, So like I said, in about 48 hours, we were sure we did a very bad Excel model, had one pair and we started cold emailing brands. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I love it. Was it scary starting out or did you feel prepared? No, it wasn't scary for me. I, I think about that all the time why it wasn't scary. I think that scary for me was a life 
not knowing what I was capable of and not really trying my hardest. That was scary. Scary was just kind of playing by others' rules and just wondering if that was it. Um, And so I felt pretty sure, I, I was very confident that this would fail, but that I would be infinitely more employable. Uh, you know what? You know, that, that was priceless really, information. What you just said, I think, is just priceless information. It was like, no, it wasn't scary. Scary would be if I didn't try it. And honestly, that's how it felt to me. I, I really did believe it would succeed, but I knew that that was irrational. So even though in my heart, I guess the way to say it, I was like, this has to work. This makes so much sense. My brain was like, but it won't because first of all, most startups fail and your first one's not going to succeed. So it was kind of that interplay, but I was very grounded in the fact that the worst thing that happens is it fails. I will learn so much. I'm so green in my career. I definitely have to be able to get a better job than I would without it. Oh, I love it. Was the idea welcomed with support? So interestingly, there was a mix. I mean, to be honest, I'd say no. The idea wasn't welcome. It wasn't that, you know, it was basically a lot of different people telling us that this is just not how the beauty industry worked. Like consumers expected samples to be free and pretty much from consumers to beauty brands to our professors, everyone said, no one's going to pay for a sample. And, you know, interestingly, Haley and I, you know, we are people who love data. We look at all of those things and, and it was data, but we were, we were just very sure that we would pay for samples. And, uh-huh. and we thought we're smart. You know, we absolutely have a finite amount of income and we think that something that is this price point, you know, that 10 to $15 that really makes the purchases we make work for us is something we would pay for. So we, we listened, but we didn't let that totally consume us. And frankly, you know, there were people who said, but if it did work, it would transform the beauty industry. I mean, that was kind of what we were hearing. We were hearing, this is so silly, but if it was right, then it would be completely transformative. So that's really how we got brands to participate in the test was even though they thought very skeptically about the idea, they also saw that if there was anything to it, it could be really valuable. Yes. Yes, because you know what I'm thinking right now? To receive a sample of something you want to try, most likely you would have to go into the store and buy a product to get the free sample. Yes, Robin, the way it used to work for everybody was that samples were given out at the point of sale as a gift. Yes. Thank you. And we would go into these meetings and say, well, that is not a customer acquisition activity. That's a customer loyalty moment. What if we turn samples into customer acquisition? What if we could turn them into incremental new consumers? And that's really what our pitch was. Oh, I love it. So how did you know to block out the noise and push forward rather than abandon the idea? Because I can imagine a lot of people out there are are thinking it, it would get confusing, like their dilemma is like, oh, how do I push past that noise and go forward? Yeah, I didn't really have a dilemma. I don't think that it's necessarily that it would be that way for me with anything. But Haley and I, my co-founder and I, we'd really thought through this. 
And we ran the numbers from the brand perspective, like the brand partners perspective, you know, the Estee Lauders and L'Oreal's of the world. And we ran the numbers from our perspectives and we tried different price points. And we just said, there's a lot of ways that this can actually work. And it's the good moment. It's a great moment in terms of the consumer behavior we felt. And we just, we just believed that it was really worth trying. So I don't really remember having that dilemma whatsoever. I remember being very discouraged trying to get other people who we needed to raise capital from to see it. And I would not pretend that there weren't plenty of lows. There were lots of lows, but it wasn't us saying, you know, they don't see it. So it must not be true. I remember thinking they don't see it. We need to say it differently. Uh Uh-huh. Because, you know, there are some people like I'm a very visual person. I can visualize everything because I inherited from my mother. My mother was a very creative person. She could look at a dress and go home and create that dress with her sewing machine. Like she could make anything. And I like to think that I inherited that from her. So I am very visual and I get what you're saying. Yeah, you have to adjust. I think instead of thinking that maybe you're, you know, you're not right, just trying a different approach and thinking, you know, well, what, what are people hearing and what do I want them to hear? And how does the presentation, yes, the visuals, how does that help us get through and kind of speak the same language? What I love about Birchbox is you you don't have to leave your home and drive to the store. It comes to your home. Yeah, it comes to you and it's personalized. And then anything that you want, you can decide to invest in. And so instead of, you know, that product graveyard of the six shampoos that you didn't like, you can try shampoos every now and then and you can invest in something that, yeah, might cost 20 or $30, but that you actually use instead of six $6 bottles that uh-huh. are happy right? So that's, yes, that's the exact idea. You don't have, it's the idea is that you can kind of sit back and unbeknownst to you become good at this without it being hard work, you know, just you, you start to have an opinion about how you like to exfoliate your skin. You start to have an opinion about the way you want your hair to smell, air drying it, blow drying it. You, it just, you get to try all these things and then you, you have a view of how do you want to spend your beauty dollars? How do you want to spend your beauty minutes? What's the return on investment for you? And that's what we wanted it to feel like, which is it's fun, but it's also actually leading to an outcome of being an empowered consumer who feels good about the money you spend and the time you spend in front of the mirror. That's exactly right. And the samples are large enough that you have enough to use long enough that you see what kind of results you're going to get long term. Absolutely. I think, you know, we all know that skincare is something that is a little bit more of like a long-term pursuit. So to start to see real outcomes in skin can take time, but you can definitely see if your skin is reacting well to it, right? right. And if you're enjoying it and if it's a part of your routine that you can incorporate, but you know, something that I want to be really clear about as far as your skin is concerned is that it is an investment of months and years, of learning how to bring, you know, hydration and for example, you know, absolutely like sun protection. And then that is what transforms your skin. That's right. uh, and that is something that you really can't do in a month. That's exactly right.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. We are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Bros. Brady Brothers from the TV show Brady Bunch. I'm Barry Williams. And I'm Christopher Knight. I played Greg. And uh, who were you again? I played Peter. We've decided that we're going to do a podcast around episodes of the Brady Bunch. We're going to use it as a prism to look back to our experience doing the show and why the Brady Bunch is still popular. Have a sunshine day. We are the real Brady, Brady Bros. Bros. I just want to stop right now and tell you that I do two things with every podcast. And one of them, the first one that I'd like to stop and do right now is I do a drink of the day. And so today's drink of the day is a first for I've Got a Secret in honor of Birchbox curating the best samples for their customers. We're going to feature a wine sampling today. And like I said, this is a really a first. So Secret Squad, this is the perfect idea to add some fun to a girls' night, a dinner, or a cocktail party. Set your guest up with three wine glasses and pour two to three ounces of samples from three different bottles. If you want to challenge your guests, pick three different varieties from the same color and have everyone guess which is which. It's harder than you think. Today, I have a beautiful tray with tastings from a rosé, a Sauvignon Blanc, and a Cabernet. I added some cheese cubes and grapes to the board, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com to see how I styled this. So, in honor of Birchbox samples, I have created this for our drink of the day. And Katia, don't you think this is beautiful? It's so awesome. I love that idea. It's something that we've always loved doing too, is sampling wines, sampling cocktails and making it kind of a part of any sort of like customer event we do too. I love that. Oh, good, good. Well, this is in honor of you and Birchbox and our podcast today. And sadly, we're not together. So the two of us cannot actually do this, but I still thought it was a great way to honor you and Birchbox for our drink of the day today. I love it. And I am committed to doing it this weekend. How's that? Okay, great. Thank you so much. And I will do it later today with the girls and the staff here at I've Got a Secret. How's that? And we'll think of you and we'll raise a glass and cheers to you and Birchbox. Thank you. Okay, so listeners out there, please go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com and look at this beautiful tray and these three beautiful glasses of wine in honor of Katia and Birchbox. And tell us your partner's name again. Haley Barna. 
So to you, to Haley, and to Birchbox, cheers. <laughs> okay, so when was the first time that you and your partner realized that Birchbox was becoming a success? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we had kind of a whirlwind in the first few months of Birchbox where we went from having so many challenges of getting brands to work with us and, you know, raising money, frankly, to the business going viral pretty quickly. And seven months in, a pretty well-known private equity shop copied the business model to launch it in other markets in the world. So in Europe and South America, and they raised $60 million or something crazy. $60 million, you know, seven months later, um, and really shortly after Amazon announced a copycat business with Allure magazine. So it was seven months in, I don't think necessarily we felt like we were successes yet. Our business was very small, but, but growing fast, but it definitely felt like we had had an impact and that we were on to something. Well, they always say copying copying someone is the best form of flattery. I know there's a proper way to say that saying, but I, I actually have never felt that way. <laughs> I was like, no, don't copy me. It was my idea. Yeah. But how did you feel about that? I mean, it was horribly stressful. We had raised very little money. Um, and we had so many ambitions. And, you know, you put your heart and soul into it and everything feels so dramatic and so personal. Um, so I would be lying if I didn't say it felt <laughs> awful yeah, and terrifying. I, I totally get it. <laughs> I totally get it. Oh, so have you discovered any personal beauty favorites from the partnerships you've curated? Just want you to share some of your secrets if oh, you're okay God. with it. Of course. I mean, so many. Um, I, I have learned so much about how to take care of my skin and my hair and even my nails. Um, uh, one of the first brands I ever worked with is Orbe. Um, and there are these incredible entrepreneurs that were a part of starting Bumble and Bumble. It's a hair care brand. I have a lot of hair. Love um, that. And I mean, first of all, as entrepreneurs, as business people, I just so admired how they you know, built their business, how they launched their business, so much integrity, and they were very focused. Oh, I love it. And I relentlessly chased them. I would show up at the West Village office that they were all crammed into and just like wait for somebody to have a meeting with me. Oh, um, and say that company again. Orbe. It's O-R-I-B-E, and it's a hair brand. I love it. See, I love their products, and I, you know, I kind of follow them on social media. I kind of go to their sites and whatever, and if they have anything new come out, boom, I'm the first one to buy it. <laughs> well, Robin, now you know you can buy it at birchbox.com. Yes, I do. I do. You have it all, and, and so it was just really fun, um, obviously, learning about that line. And from when the line was very small, I started using it, but I'm somebody who doesn't blow dry my hair. So I'm always looking for products that let my hair air dry. And even just their shampoo and conditioner, I've just seen transform how my hair air dries. I am embarrassed to say that I use it on my toddlers, but my toddler boy and my toddler girl both have very long hair. I love <laughs> that. It looks so, it, you can brush it easier and it dries beautifully. See, and I so, don't blow dry mine either. And I use their Beachcomber. Beach. Oh. I'm kind of blanking. I think it's called Beachcomber. It's a mousse oh, yeah. yes, that you leave yes. in and it looks like you've been at the beach all day and left your hair dry by the sun, you know. I haven't even tried that one. I, I need to try that oh, one. Oh, it looks like you've been on the beach all day and let the sun dry your hair. I love that. I love yeah. their product. 
Their products are so fantastic. Um, I'm really excited to try that. And yeah, anything that lets me air dry is great. So I, I love Orbe. And then, you know, so we launched our own line that's called Arrow. And we worked while just trying to think about what was product that didn't really exist in the market. Um, and one of the things that we landed on was a moisturizer that has a little bit of pearlescence to it, um, has a hyaluronic acid. So it's lighter weight. It's, it's a little bit between like a gel and a cream and that you could use it as an alternative to wearing like makeup on your skin. Oh, wonderful. So on days when you don't need a full makeup, but you kind of just want to look glowy and a little you know, that blur yes, that glow does. Yes. So we developed the Aero Radiant Skin Moisturizer. And I know that it's, you know, it's our brand, but it's only been on the market for about a year. And I've, I've purchased it for myself a dozen times. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you purchased it. I, purchased it. <laughs> I get an employee discount, but I love it. I've also purchased it from all my friends because I think, I really do think it's differentiated. It's a clean product um, and it looks beautiful on every skin tone and shade. And even if you wear it under your makeup, it's gorgeous and it actually does um, hydrate your skin. It feels amazing on. So I love that product, but, oh, but I'm buying it. Can I just tell you, I'm sorry, I haven't already. I'm buying that today because I that that's a certain type of product I truly love because I wear a lot of makeup. I, I do my own makeup. I love putting on makeup. So I, I'm a makeup girl, but if I'm at home, no makeup, but I love to have that type of a product. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I will send it to you. I would love to hear your feedback, um, oh. but I'm very proud of it because like I said, there's nothing on the market that is 20 bucks, clean, great. You know, so I love using it and I'm proud that. That's Congratulations. Congratulations. I can't wait to use it. Thank you. Yay. Okay, so now I'd love to talk all about being a working mother because I've already mentioned this, but let's talk about the fact that you have four beautiful children and I love seeing that you have twins because I'm a twin. Oh, that's so great. Twins are so special, but man, that first year, whoa. Whoa. And how old are your twins? My twins turned seven last week. (gasps) Oh, congratulations. So you had twins after you started your company. Yes, I had twins about halfway through this. Um, I'm, a little I'm before giving halfway. you a applause right now. Bravo. Thank You're an amazing you. mother. You're an amazing woman. I feel really lucky. I think before having kids, it was almost impossible for me to turn my brain off towards work. And I don't think that that was good for me and my my mental well-being, my relationships. And I don't think that was good for Birchbox. And I think that, you know, having something like your babies that really consumes you and like needs you and actually allows you to shift your mind towards something else, while it's obviously has its moments and challenges, it's such a gift because you actually have time off of thinking about work or or convincing yourself that work is the only thing that matters, which it doesn't. And it's a part of our lives, but it isn't who we are and it isn't our whole lives. So it's been such a blessing in terms of making, honestly, the journey of entrepreneurship more sustainable for me. Oh, I love that. And I understand you had a very difficult pregnancy during a pivotal time in building Birchbox. Can you tell us about that? And first of all, I want to say I'm so sorry. No, it's thank goodness everything is okay. It's it's easy to talk about those things after the fact. Um, you know, so it was really surprising and then obviously exciting. Um, but really quickly after I found out I was pregnant, just a few weeks later, I found out that I had some, you know, like 
complication that was somewhat common, but the version of it I had was looking like it was worse and not common. And then when I was 21 weeks, so I'd only known for, you know, about a month and a half, um, I had to go into the hospital and thinking that I was just going in to get a checkup. And then I didn't leave for the rest of the pregnancy. <gasps> no. Yes. So um, luckily I felt okay, but there was, I was high risk to bleed out. Um, so, so I had to stay in the hospital for a hundred days <gasps> and honestly, like the hardest thing about it was just being away from my husband and kids for a hundred days. Um, I learned to work remotely before it was cool. <laughs> I was doing this. <laughs> So oh, wow. I learned about all of this. Um, and yes, to your point, at the same time, I was negotiating a big strategic deal with Walgreens um, oh. while this was happening from the hospital. And and it was, you know, it was incredibly dramatic, I'd say. Yes. Like we signed right before I actually went into labor, um, which ended up being pretty dangerous. But luckily, myself and my daughter okay. She spent about a month in the NICU, which wasn't fun, but you know, there's a lot of people who go through so many hard things, whether it's getting pregnant or having their babies and, and relatively speaking, I feel really blessed. Well, you know, congratulations that everything turned out well. How old is she now? She's two, two and a half. So amazing. Like joy of all joys. Um, Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe that her life started in such a, I don't know, yeah. Very you know, I'm in awe right now of everything you've just said and want to say congratulations. I'm so happy that everything turned out so well. And all I can think of is what a scary time for you. And I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. I have one question. Did you continue breastfeeding your son while in the hospital? I couldn't do that. No, so, no. Basically, Right after I found out I was pregnant, I have this incredible doctor who's become like a father to me. Um, and he was like, you really need to stop breastfeeding because, you know, yeah. the baby like needs it. And True. that was his perspective. I'm sure True. different doctors. I didn't even think so that. I stopped weaning right around the time. And he was like nine months and then just a little bit until he was like 11 yeah. months. Yeah. Um, anyways, my kids have all kind of been like, we're good at around 10 months. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Okay. So I, I just had to ask that question. I was like, with all you had to deal with, did your husband have to still? No. no Thank no. heavens. I mean, I've carded, I've done weird things in terms of pumping and bringing milk from different business trips, but no, did not have to do anything. <laughs> wow. Well, I know that you advocate heavily for women with children in business. Where do you think the corporate world is falling short to support working moms? Thanks for asking. I have so many feelings about this. Um, Look, I think that a lot of conversations are happening now, which are fantastic around um, paid parental leave and, and thinking about parental leave more holistically, because if there are two parents having that ability to have the support and help, whether it's same time or after is really critical for, I'm sure as many people as possible can have that benefit. I think that the conversation that also needs to be added is um, what I consider to be this almost treatment of women after they have, have children or start a family as though like something has changed about their career ambitions or abilities um, so I think that there's a disruption in the career trajectory of women that we're not looking at. And I think it's often subconscious, right? This idea that now women um, 
because they need flexibility, flexibility is at odds with having a career that is still moving upward. Um, and so I have a belief that for women that are working in the corporate world, there kind of becomes a stagnation in their careers. And when they look at what they're earning and what they're leaving behind, it isn't, doesn't make as much sense. Um, so I see a big throughput problem and I hear this conversation about women getting to boards boardrooms and I'm like, well, first we have to get them out of middle management past having their first child, maybe past having another. Um, and that's how the throughput goes into the boardrooms. So we need to have awareness around these unconscious bias that are placed on women for having careers. And women will often talk about having to prove themselves again, having to say, oh, you thought I was a great employee for a dozen years, but suddenly you're questioning everything about my abilities, maybe because I have a few months or even a year of like needing more flexibility or being a little bit disoriented by having to manage it all. You know, a year in a 50-year career, two years in a 50-year career, the fact that we're penalizing women so much for reorienting their entire lives around supporting these new humans is crazy to me. And I think, you know, bringing awareness in the offboarding and onboarding process and having employers think about the responsibility of keeping women on their career paths and supporting those paths to stay at that trajectory that a woman wants. Not everybody wants to have an accelerated path or keep moving up, but for those that do, how do we not, number one, like penalize them for a short period of time? How do we not um, ask them to start at one again? proving themselves. Right. And then it happens again. I mean, women talk about this. They have it with one kid, they reprove themselves. Then they have a second child and they start at one again. I mean, this is crazy. And so, you know, I do think it's this onboarding offboarding and it's the employer's job to train managers and to have responsibility. If this was the timing for promotion, the timing stays the same. Oh, I totally agree with you. And I'm so glad that you're so passionate about this and bring awareness to everyone on this topic. It's kind of funny that just this morning, my daughter-in-law went back to work from wow. maternity leave. She and my son had my brand new granddaughter just three months ago, Roe Ringley. And little Rose, mommy, went back to work just this morning. And I have to kind of say a shout out to her employers because they were so supportive of her taking the amount of time that she needed. And she just went back just this morning. And wow. uh, she was a little, you know, excited and apprehensive, but she was very excited. But they were so supportive of her. And I was so happy about it. And uh, just a little side note to something that's kind of funny so she had to be there at 6 a.m. this morning, and uh, she woke up to wow. this huge bouquet of flowers from my son. And what I thought was really cute was the card said, have a fun first day back at work. I'll take care of the baby. Love, Roe. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> I, I thought that was so cute. Of course, he's funny anyway, but I thought that was so cute. Adorable. Oh, that's exciting. And yeah, shout out to her that three months is is such a nothing amount yeah. of time no. to get reoriented. So yeah. sending yeah. her goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So is there anything specific that we as women can do to really help and support one another? 
Yeah, there's so many things we can do um, as women to support one another, but to be really tactical and specific, one of the things that I'd really like to see women do more is talk about their income. I think men share a lot of information about how much money they're making at different stages in their life. And that's really useful in a negotiation, right? So you know how much people are making in different companies at different um, you know, titles. That's useful information for you to say, okay, well, this is what I want to earn. That's always a question that gets asked. And for whatever reason, I think women are less likely to share whether it's because they want to be humble um, and they don't want you know, to make anyone else feel bad or because they just think it's taboo to talk about that. And I honestly think like ripping that bandaid off and being like, last year I made this, this year I made that and helping each other get that data is only going to make us stronger as a body of people trying to negotiate for what we should be making. So that's the tactical advice I'd like to Oh, I women. love that. Thank you. You stress the importance of hiring working mothers at Birchbox, correct? I do. I think, I mean, in general, I think it's not just about hiring mothers. It's assuming that mothers are coming at some point, right? Even if they're not hired as that. So it's really just about thinking, you know, is this company a great place for mothers to work at some point? Um, and how do we continue to learn more about how that can be the case and challenge ourselves to, to question? I think the pandemic has been an amazing opportunity. One of our most valuable employees had a baby during the pandemic and has like talked about how, you know, how great it's been to have that flexibility of being home. Um, and she's added incredible value remotely, right? And also not had to hook herself up to a machine in a closet, you know, like yes. we have a great pumping room, but she doesn't have to go in there every three hours and then cart all this stuff home. And, you know, those challenges are taxing um, and maybe they're better for some people and less good for others, but just continuing to be open to how we can adapt and support support parents for what they need. I love that. You are so impressive, I have to say. Can you tell us what's next for you and Birchbox? Oh, such a good question. So, you know, we invented uh, a new way of discovering beauty 11 years ago, and it's been on my mind for years that now the market is ready for something new. Um, you know, the context is always what I'm thinking about for consumers. And 11 years ago, there wasn't consumer context that they would just give their, you know, a company their credit card and they would re be rebuilt to get samples. You know, now that's an understood behavior and that allows us to dream again about how we can be even better um, at serving our customers and helping them have the best and most relevant discovery experience. So we are working on reimagining our business again, and you'll see us testing a small version of that this summer. And then, um, you know, I think again, challenging this industry to do more and do better by the consumer. Um, I can't say the specifics right, about it right, understand. quite yet, but the idea is to continue to focus on being at that intersection of joy and delight and efficacy. Like, is this really driving the value in terms of feeling like I'm an empowered consumer and I know how to care for myself? And we have really felt strongly that we are, we want to move away from being thought of as just beauty is fun to like beauty is a way to care for yourself. And we want to be there with you learning the tools that you need to really take good care of yourself. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm very excited to see what's coming in the future for Birchbox. Katya, you are a beauty connoisseur. 
And I bet you've tried hundreds of products, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mentioned earlier that we do two things with every podcast. One is the drink of the day, which we've already done. And the second thing we do with every podcast is we play a game. Do you like games? I do like games. Not as much as my husband, but I I like them. I love games. So, well, the beauty industry notoriously has some very unique product names. For this game, I'm going to read off a crazy name, and you're going to have to guess if it's a real product or totally made up. Oh, this is fun. I'm very into the game. (laughs) Okay, good. We create our games for every podcast in honor of our guest, (laughs) obviously. So this game is called Bizarre Beauty. Okay, so number one, better than sex. Oh, that is a real product. That's right. It's two-faced mascara, isn't it? Yeah, I said mascara. I knew it. I love two-faced products. I had him on a podcast, and we I tell you, we have never laughed so hard. He is hilarious. Okay, number two, electric grandma. Fake. No, it's real. Obsessive no. compulsive cosmetics lip tar. Real. Yeah. Have it. <laughs> real. Okay, number three, afternoon delight. Real? Fake. (laughs) That one sounds like it could be real, right? I know. I'm shocked it's not. I'm shocked it's not. Someone's going to do it after this podcast now. I know. It's a drink, I think. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Number four. Tickle powder. Real. Real. Benefit Cosmetics Highlighter. (gasps) How fun. Okay. Number five. Cake by the Ocean. I mean, that's a song. I don't think it's a product. You're right. It's fake. Okay. It's fake. Okay, number six. Gut punch. Punch? Gut punch. Um, fake. Fake. (laughs) I wouldn't buy it. (laughs) Just because. That does not sound fun. Gut punch. Ooh. Okay, number seven. Mikasa es blue casa. Real. Right. It's real. It's an OPI nail polish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number eight. Pink Pigeon. Never heard of it. It's real. It's MAC Cosmetics Lipstick. Okay. Oh, okay. It's a color. Pink yeah. Pigeon. Okay. So here's the next one. Baby's Breath. Real. 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 SE Nail Polish. Baby's Breath. Oh, I like that one. Number 10. Sloppy seconds. Real? It's fake. Oh, thank God. Yeah, like, who's going to buy sloppy seconds? Thank God. Okay, that's it. I just didn't know maybe Gen Z's into that cutesy funniness, but okay, so I I think I missed two or three. Yeah, you did really, really well. You did very well. Okay, so that's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for chatting with me and the Secret Squad today, Katya. Oh, I had so much fun. Thank you for having me. It was a great experience. Nice to meet you. Gosh, it was such a pleasure to meet you. And it was a very, very great experience because you're brilliant and you shared so much valuable information. Can you tell the listeners how to find out more information about you and Birchbox online? 
Yeah, you can visit birchbox.com and you can also follow Birchbox on Instagram and basically any of the other platforms. Oh, I love it. Wonderful. If you've loved today's episode, please rate and review on Apple. And of course, visit I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for fun extras. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.